0: The system, cast the system. <laughs> that would be a really weird cold open. No, that's that's. I'm not gonna. Go. I don't like that as a cold open.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Not Your Father's Movies final
0: episode for listener request month. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. And I'm Jesse. And we are the dad fathers coming at you with some fantastic mother cussing energy. Exactly. (laughs) Mother cussing (laughs) cussing (laughs) energy all over the place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we're very excited on this final episode of our listener request month to bring you the cussing classic Fantastic Mr. Fox from 2009. This was requested by a lot of you And came in, uh, I think, in fourth place, right? That's
0: why it's number four. That sounds right. It's been a really long time since we had that poll, so that's true. This was the part of the top two of our bunch of movies that people voted on. This actually came in second with Into the Spider-Verse coming in first. Interesting. So we're just doing it fourth for no cussing reason, right? Yes. Okay, good.
1: Okay, I just want a clarification from the board. (laughs) We have no reason for doing the things that we're doing. Exactly. Look, just throw it at the wall, see what sticks. I mean, hey, we learned it in in 12 Angry Men. Just throw it up the flagpole, see who salutes it, right? See who salutes it. There we go. (laughs) But anyway, so this is Fantastic Mr. Fox uh, from 2009. It is written, directed, and produced by Wes Anderson. He shares a writing credit with Noah Baumbach, who everyone knows is the indie darling behind. Uh, marriage Story, Squid and the Whale, uh, The Meyerwitz Stories, um, all of which are possible. Stay tuned. I don't really know what we would do with the Squid and the Whale show, but it, it could happen, I guess. <laughs> it could.
2: It could. <laughs> Season 25,
0: guys. <laughs> yeah. We will eventually do all movies, eventually. Yeah. But we might be 45. It's, it's
2: an eventuality. There you go. The eventuality will be reached, eventually. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Anything more to say on that, Mike? I might eventually have something more to say about the eventuality. I'll be sitting in this the same cussing
1: seat when you finally do. Uh, <laughs> all right, so it's produced by a couple of notable people. Uh, Allison Abadi. I think I'm saying that right, but she worked on Nightmare Before Christmas and the Iron Giant, as well as the Lego movie. And this year's Tom and Jerry. So she's really been involved in animation for a long time and also co-producing this. And it's possibly one of his weirdest credits is Scott Rudin as the guy you might know, the Hollywood Titan behind stuff like, oh, you know, No Country for Old Men. Ladybird, The Social Network, The Truman Show. If, if actually if you want to ever just look up Scott Rudin's IMDb, I think I talked about this in another episode, but that is just all movies that you know. <laughs> they all came from this guy. It's amazing. Yeah, and uh, Wes Anderson also produced this at, along with his frequent collaborator Jeremy Dawson. And the music was also done with frequent Anderson collaborator Alexandre Desplat, which I believe I'm saying that right according to a YouTube video that I cussing watched a few minutes ago. <laughs> All right, so this movie uh, in 2010 at the Academy Awards was nominated for Best Animated Feature and Best Score and lost both to the same movie. Can you guys guess which movie it lost to? So remember, in 2010, they're doing 2009. Right. So what movie came out in 2009 2009. that wins the Best Animated Feature and Best Original Score?
2: Oh, Up. Was that one? Up, Jesse Uh, has it. Up, okay.
1: Uh, and what's also funny is Alexander Dumas loses the uh, loses this to uh, Michael Diakino, even though Alexander Dupla, I believe later went on to work with Pixar. All right, so that gets us out of the weeds there. I haven't mentioned any of the cast because I think the cast here is bananas. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it, it, it's it's one of the most stacked cast I think, and we did make a big deal of the cast in uh, Into the Spider Verse, but I think this one is is if not as loaded. It is more prestigious. So we got George Clooney, Meryl Streep, Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Eric Anderson, Wes Anderson's brother, Michael Gambin, Willem Dafoe, Owen Wilson, Wes Anderson himself. We have Roman Coppola. We have Brian Cox. Oh,
2: we got Adrian Brody still. Like, oh, there's, yeah. it's wild how many people are in this movie. Adrian Brody. And it, I think. Uh, Mario Batali, the chef, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> in, in his feature film debut. Really? Yeah. Are you are you making that up? I'm not making that up. Really, I, I looked it up. It was on trivia uh, about this movie, and I was like, "Wow, that's amazing!" And then did his...
1: he go on to have the prestigious career that uh, <coughs> someone named Mario Batali should have? Well, I I don't know, but he is a, a famous chef. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, he yes, yeah, he is. Are you
2: telling me that like this is as big a deal as if like Emeril Lagasse was in this? I mean, it's not quite as big of a deal because he's not Emeril, but it's a pretty big deal. Okay. I mean,
1: I'm trusting you. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm the troglodyte here. That could be a fun game. Who's the
0: trog? Who's, who's the trog? You know, to be safe, I'll just side with Mike. Yes. I mean, love that. True to form. That's usually what Jesse does. Listening to
1: some of these episodes is painful, guys. The cowardice on display. The
0: cowardice. You, you well, crave Let's it be almost. honest. All of, right. Of the three of us, like Mike is just, he gets the safest dad award. Like if there's any like safe dad to like huddle with in terms of opinion, (laughs) it's Mike. So Mike, I give you, I mean, I have a lot of opinions. <laughs>
2: I I'm gonna take that, man. And, I and thank actually, you. I just want to point out with most of Jesse's compliments,
1: that is also an insult. I know it is. I
3: know it is.
1: <laughs> Jesse's the most sincere backhand complimenter I've ever seen. I'm just trying
2: to figure out where where like exactly, you know, the the negative is there. It feels like it could be in several different places, no, but you know what? We
0: can keep going. <laughs> it's genuinely a compliment. Like you're a big wow. cuddly man with big cuddly opinions. You are wow. shucks. You're so That's harmless. Jesse? He can say anything to you.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> well, we know we know Well, you're the, the one, one who
2: does say anything to me.
1: So, we're just going to go over to Mike's toothless corner whenever we need a good opinion. I'm sorry, Mike, I love you. Okay. <laughs> we're getting off the rails. Mike, since you have the safest opinions, what is your nostalgia <laughs>
2: what? for this movie? I really want to say something just like scathing and like I, I, I've <laughs> got nothing. No, um, I, I watched this for the first time about a year ago um, because my wife and I were getting sick of watching things like Cinderella with our kids and we hadn't seen this movie. And so we were like, Hey, let's uh, let's check this out and see if the kids are into it. And they were, they really enjoyed it. It is a little bit more adult themed than they, they got, which is probably good there. It's not like an a, like adult, no, or anything like bad, but um, the mature themes. It, it's yeah, it's mature themes for sure. Uh, but they enjoyed it; they thought it was fun. I don't know if we're going to show it to them again too soon, but it was really fun to watch because it was like we got to see this adult movie with our kids, which was really nice because usually we're watching movies that are not that interesting, and this is a very interesting movie. It was definitely. You know, something that that hit home in several places because, you know, it's it's dealing with this fox who's trying to be a good father and be a good husband, be a good person. But maybe he's just a wild animal underneath.
1: Ah, yeah, there it is. Yeah, it's beautiful.
2: Yeah. Um. So it, it's funny out of the
1: I'm not going to spoil what Jesse's going to say, but I think it's safe to say out of all of us, uh, I've seen this movie the most. And I saw it earliest. I saw it the year it came out and it was through the Netflix, DVD thing, you know, I think we mentioned oh, yeah, this before, yeah. but yeah, the good old it, days. Yeah. they it, still do that. I know. I actually kind of want to do it, but then I just remember that sometimes there would, if you got like the three DVD plan, mm-hmm. there's that one movie that no one wanted to watch and it just sat there for like months until eventually <laughs> someone lost it and you had to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not looking forward to that.
3: No. Uh,
1: But I I saw this that year, and I saw it with my whole family, and it was a blind watch for them because it was something that I had been tracking as a nerdy teenager. And I was so excited that there was a Wes Anderson movie that I could probably watch with my family because all of his movies had just been R-rated up until then, and definitely a no-go for my parents. And so coming into this one, it's a a huge departure for him. It's an animated movie, stop-motion animated, and I loved it. I fell in love with it immediately. And my family did too. I've seen this movie probably like 15 times. I, w- I love this movie so much. I-, I watch it every year, sometimes a couple times a year. It's the lines from it have infiltrated my family, all all of my family. Not only like the one I came out of and was raised with, but also my new family with my wife and my daughter. We use these lines constantly. We, we use cuss all the time. We say <laughs> he's, and then we do the hand motion different. Different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we, we do the, the all the time everything from this movie has become baked into kind of my DNA and how I talk about movies. And uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the most important movies of my life. I think it's cool. i just have had now like a 12 or 13 year relationship with it. Yeah. What do you think Jesse? Oh,
0: that's a big deal because, um, because I just saw this movie last night for the first time. ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you could say my nostalgia it, it's not the length of the nostalgia, but the depth of it, because I really like the movie. I really like Fantastic Mr. Fox. I just realized today that having now seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, I've seen all of Wes Anderson films from uh, Royal Tenenbaums on, which was Royal Tenenbaums, like early two thousand. So everything else on. And one thing that I was really struck by was like Fantastic Mr. Fox is like the entry level Wes Anderson that I've always wanted. Because I've always wondered like how to get other people into Wes Anderson. <laughs> because all of his movies are so particular yeah. and strange. And here's this movie. It's it's so nice. It's about a fox, and you know what his goal is. His goal is to be a thief, right? And he wants to steal all those things and takes them back, and then havoc ensues because the farmers start chasing after him. Like you just understand everything, you understand everybody's motivations, and it's just so pleasant to look at. There's nothing really gratuitous or odd about it. Well, all right, it's odd, but there's nothing I- like <laughs> <laughs> It's Wes Anderson, so it's, in some ways it's his oddest movie yet because he got to craft apparently everything that was in the movie, uh, but it's you expect it to be that way. So, yeah, I really like Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I'm really happy to have now seen it, and um, I'm kind of wishing that I had nostalgia for this movie, but I'm happy to have finally seen it. Great. I I hope at some point if we ever do revisit it, then then you will have
1: that that nostalgia that you can dig in and be like, oh, in the the 20 years since I first saw that on (laughs) on that season of Not Your Father's (laughs) Movies, it's really come up in my estimation.
0: I named my son Fantastic. No, Fox. Why do I have that accent? No,
2: you don't want to name your son Foxy. But it's the name of Fantastic Mr. Fox. His name is Foxy Fox. What's your name? Foxy. <laughs> Who knows? By by then, names won't even matter. Yeah, then everybody will just make, be
0: computer chips. Yeah, you know, yeah everyone's a barcode. Get,
2: get, they get names like Elon Musk's kid. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: I don't don't want to slander that kid's name. I can't pronounce it. I just don't want to slander him. Um, But so I think here we should ask, I think Mike already answered it, but when should you show your kids this? And at what age?
2: Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, like I said, we watched it with our kids. They were three and one uh, when we saw it. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I really liked about it was that my daughter did not go running out of the room pretty much at any point. Although it does get a little thematic. It can. It can. Yeah. She was, she was pretty in, she wasn't actually like, they were less interested in this movie than in a lot of other stuff, like Cinderella or anything like that. It is, but they were also like, so they would like go out, they went out and kind of did whatever for a while, but they would come back in and be like, Ooh, this is interesting. The, the, the puppet, or I guess the stop motion Puppets? Are they puppets? I, I, I think there are sometimes puppets and okay. sometimes not, I think. Yeah. Like they they like those and and thought they were interesting. So it's something that you can watch with your kids when, when they're younger. I, I wonder if there's like a donut hole where you're like, you know, what, between, I don't know, six and ten, maybe you avoid it because of the themes. I, I'm not really sure. Oh, I see what you mean. Like,
1: yeah, like there, there's a moment where the themes might be too heavy for that age, but before it, it's going to go over their heads. And after it, they're going to be able to grasp it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. I I guess I'm kind of remembering like when we were kids and there was just like some stuff that came up in school, like divorce came up in school. Oh, yeah. And that was in my life. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, it it was around six or something. And that was something we were like, oh, man, like every time my parents like got elevated in their conversations, we were like, oh, are they going to get divorced? Which was a silly thing. Like my parents were never going to get divorced. That was never something that was going to happen. But I don't know, because of the way that we encountered it or whatever, it, it, I, I guess that's kind of what I'm thinking about it. Whether or not it puts, I don't know, this this idea, the the uh, midlife crisis in so much of a, a high relief that it becomes too much for a six-year-old. I, I don't know. That's a long way of saying maybe that's too much, but that's something I'm going to check on. As, as they get older. What
1: do you think, Jesse?
2: Well you, you seem you seem pensive.
0: No, yeah, I guess I'd never thought of you know the age donut idea where you just leave that <laughs> gap.
3: Um
0: I like it and I think that applies to a lot of movies. I'm not sure about this one though. Yeah. Like the midlife crisis is more I don't know, that's more reserved for people either going through it or who are going to go through it or who haven't gone through it yet. And generally not children because they're so far removed from it. So really I think it's reserved mainly for adults. As well, as I think I think really Mike's stress. also talking about like the the marital discord too.
2: Yeah, more more that, and and also like his inability to connect with his son. Yeah, sure. Maybe um, maybe just a discord in the family that that's kind of okay. caused by his midlife crisis.
0: I can understand where you're coming from, but I think I'd be okay with my kids seeing that. I think the thing is, like, I, I prefer my kids in some ways to see it in a fantasy setting rather than in real life, because I know they will eventually. So if they encounter it in a fantasy setting, at least that will have prepared them for when they eventually encounter it. And, and I like the way Fantastic Mr. Fox, like, shows you everything. Like, it's not, everything feels a little toned down. It doesn't feel like it's too, like, in your face. Like, there's that one part, I can think, where the where the wife slaps him right? That feels very intentional and very stark. And then it ends, right? So it's like, so it's like you had that one intense thing, and then you can process that and then be done with it. And then you quickly move on. And to a child's mind that I think they respond really well to that. So I would be comfortable with them seeing something like that. And I don't think that would like scar them for life. But I think it'd be a little nudge towards having them accept that as a reality of life sometimes. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that, that does make sense. That's a good point. What age would you say, Jesse, would that take place at? I mean, developmentally, that they would understand that? I don't know. But in all reality, I think any age can appreciate this movie. So I'll just say this gets a good, like, all ages from me. I think any age can appreciate it, like it, or get more depth from it as they get older.
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree. I, I, mean, I see your point. Uh, I see a lot of validity to it. I will, I'm going to agree more with Jesse in saying that, you know, I've I showed this to my daughter. She had a similar response to, to your kids where she was kind of in and around the first time she watched it. But the second time, I don't know if it's because the day beforehand, we had just watched the Robin hood, the old Disney oh, one yeah. with the Fox. Yeah. And then we watched this the next day and it had a Fox and she was oh. much more engaged because of the Fox Fox. Yeah, exact box. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, you remember. <laughs> but she just she was really into it. The second time, I was asking questions about who everyone was, and was laughing at unexpected things. Like she got some jokes that were not straight up jokes, but some yeah. of the the visual, the visual humor. Yeah, she understood. Yeah, I, I definitely see the donut hole, and I think we're gonna have to talk about that with some other movies going forward. That's an interesting theory. Yeah, did mm-hmm. you get that from that... Benoit Blanc?
2: <laughs> uh, I don't know. Nice out. When you oh. talk about how
1: everything's a donut, <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's probably where I got it from. That's probably is. Yeah, yeah. No, I just to to kind of connect to, to both of what you guys said. Um, I, I think that you're you're definitely right. And I guess maybe what I'm thinking about is my own children, my own daughter, and wondering sort of as she as she gets older, just kind of understanding her better and her sensitivities and, and stuff. It's definitely, I guess it's something that you have to have some prudence with because of that, in terms of like what the themes are about, but in general, like whether or not like this is good for your kid, but in general, I'd agree like, yeah, this is something that anybody could watch at any time, unless, you know, they're super sensitive about it. Yeah.
0: You need somebody's emotional maturity to align with their intellectual one. And in some ways that their intellectual capacity has like expanded beyond like the emotions they can deal with and you need to uh, need to let it all catch up.
2: Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's crazy how kids do that, man. They like get this massive jump in sort of like perceptions of reality. And they all of a sudden realize so much about the world and like the joy and pain of this world that we're in. And they just don't know what to do with it because they've got massive emotions. It's crazy.
1: Funny we're talking about this with Fantastic Mr. Yeah. Fox. It's like yeah. it's, I know <laughs> yeah. the movie is, is cerebral and heady in its way, Yeah, but uh, it's interesting that we're provoking this. I, I did want to say something that uh, I rhymed with. Oh, I had something to say about what Jesse was talking about, when the midlife crisis and who it's going to affect. And I like that you included so many areas because I, I remember <laughs> being, gosh, I, was, I think I was 17 when I saw this, or 16, about to be 17, either way, that age. And I remember seeing what Fox is going through. And I remember being very kind of confounding. And I also remember being deeply kind of scared that Mm. I saw so many things that I already felt like resembled the stuff that I was already worried about. And the older I get, the more prescient it feels, Fox's uh, journey. And I think maybe we can get into that a little bit further along. Um but For just sure. safe to say we're all pretty good with kids seeing this anyone seeing this grandma seeing this like this is a this this is a all ages with the exception of a donut or two.
0: Yeah. With the prudential uh, donut in,
2: entailed, yeah. A the prudential, 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 prudential donut. That's good. <laughs> this is an all ages with a prudential donut. <laughs> 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 Got to make that a cussing thing. All right.
1: So, going forward, let's do some favorite scenes. That sounds like yeah. fun. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, Jesse, Jesse, you want to start with favorite scenes? Sure. So having just come off fresh last night, I guess I was most enthralled with the humor of this. And one thing that just made me fall in love with the movie is when Foxy goes into Badger's like real estate. I guess he's his real estate agent, right? And no, he's his attorney. He's his attorney. Oh, Badger's the attorney, right So Badger starts telling him to not Buy this treehouse, right And he starts giving him, like, you know Here are all the farmers around there, they're all gonna kill you They're all really notorious and mean And then, and then I'm just gonna read This script, because I just love these lines so much Badger says, in summation I think you just got to not Do it, man, that's all Fox says, I understand what you're saying And your comments are valuable But I'm going to ignore your advice the cuss you are? The cuss I am? The cussing point at me? Are you cussing with me? Do I look like I'm cussing with you? And then they start snarling at each other, like going around a table and they both just sit down. I love that so much. That is such a funny scene and it also it's the first time I think where they really, where you really understand that they're using cuss instead of actual cuss words and it's just like having a whole fight takes place when there are cuss words and just putting cuss words in there it's brilliant I love it yeah it, it it
1: actually sometimes it's when I when scene. I see that scene because I've seen it a couple times since we I've seen this movie twice since we started doing the podcast but that scene in particular reminds me of when you and I get into it Jesse about the planning of episodes <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that just sounds really familiar <laughs> <laughs> Even, because been, it does yeah. <laughs> what the cost are you talking about are, cussing with are you me? cussing with me don't and point at me <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome oh, i love it i can think of i think
1: what, one one distinct fight that we had that was that got pretty heated and it was it was a little like that
0: uh <laughs> um what, what was what was your other one? Oh, my other one was um i i think it's bean bean is a skinny guy right the skinny farmer am i right about that yeah 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 and um bogus I, bogus and bunts are, are
1: thin
2: yeah I think. Wait, Bogus is the chicken farmer, yeah, right? Yeah. And he He eats three chickens, three meals a day. Yeah. Yeah. Bunce is the short guy. Yeah, who who, who would be drowning in the shallow end of the pool. Yes, and (laughs) Bunce is the guy who subsists on hard, very, very hard alcoholic cider. Bean. Bean, Bean. yeah, and is possibly the scariest man alive. Yes, and possibly the (laughs) scariest man alive.
0: (laughs) So I, I love when they're all sitting together and things are going wrong, and then Bean just goes on. A rampage in their little trailer and he <laughs> st- <Yeah! laughs> he's taking and throwing everything and then he stops, he looks around, and then he goes past um Bunsen and Boggus and Bunts. Bogus and Bunts. Bog- Bogus and Bunts. Yeah. He goes past Boggus and Bunts, gets another shelf, throws that down, goes outside the trailer, starts smashing things outside the trailer. Like it's just <laughs> it- <laughs> Like, it's so unnecessary, and I love it. It's just like a dude on a rampage. And for whatever reason, in Claymation, it becomes a little funnier. It becomes so, really funny, it's so funny, because it would be terrifying if it was an actual person. I, I feel like we've seen that scene before
2: in a movie we've talked about on this episode called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. yes, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: also, also, what it looks like after a podcast that is fraught with technical difficulties and you guys go home—that's what happened <laughs> in my house.
3: <laughs>
1: a lot of
2: parallels with this movie for me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, what about you? Oh, um, what are my favorite scenes? I I love I love so many scenes in this movie. I think my favorite scene of all is the scene where they meet the wolf. Um, yeah. When they're driving, they've just escaped from Beans' compound, right? And you know, everyone's been shooting at them, and they got the tail. Even they even got his tail, and they, you know, the the opossum um, says, "Oh, don't turn around." And of course, Mr. Fox turns. Yeah. What and he says? What? What is it? <laughs> And it's a wolf. He says, it's a wolf. I have a phobia of wolves. <laughs> and he yells out to the wolf, I have a phobia of wolves. <laughs> and the wolf doesn't respond to him. But he, uh, you know, he, he cries. He's crying. He's like, this is this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened in my life. And he raises his fist. And the wolf raises his fist back. It's amazing. It's yeah. so great. I love I love that.
1: Canis Lupus.
2: Pulpus, Pulpus. I don't think he speaks Latin. <laughs> I, he speaks Latin. <laughs> I, love, yeah. I love the writing in this movie, man. It's yeah. so good. The di- Yeah.
1: Yeah. Those those jokes are, are really wonderful. The the whole montage where he's setting up, he's telling everyone their, their Latin names yeah. and trying to get them like really involved. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then Wally, it's Wally, right? What's what's uh what's uh, Kylie, Kylie, the uh, the superintendent. Yes. The possum. He comes up. He's like, "Ah, oh, what's my job? What's my job going to be? What's my name?" He's like, "I don't think they had possums in ancient Rome, but uh, anyway, uh, you can go help out the others." Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Badger. <laughs> he did like his Latin name, right? He's like, "What? What can you do? Demolitions expert? What? What? Since when? <laughs> Since when? <laughs> I don't know. Explosions, doing stuff, demolitions."
2: But <laughs> my, my my other favorite scene, well, I so like the the wolf scene. I think that that's like it speaks to the core of the movie. We're we're gonna talk about that more later my other favorite scene is the scene when they just like burn the town down. That was just so amazing. Like right after, right after, right after that incredible speech where he somehow gets them all on, on his side again. It's just so awesome when he, they like they're hitting the, the pine cones that are on fire into the different places. It was hilarious. It was gratuitous. It was, it was wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was wonderful. I, I love that a lot. That's, that's really great. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to go for the opening for, yeah. for my favorite scene. The opening scene, it, it's it's what we've come to expect kind of from Wes Anderson where he shows you, it's what he, I mean, he showed us this in, in you know, Cuss and Royal Tenenbaums with yeah. the book opening. You know, he does this with so many of his movies where he introduces it like a book with chapters and he has, you know, the actual thing written in, like, uh, for instance, in the, the newspaper that Foxy is reading. Yeah. It's all just sections of Fantastic Mr. Fox, the book. It's yeah. printed in the newspaper. And he's very obsessed with getting this text onto the screen, but just the image of the tree and then Foxy steps around it. And he's listening to the, the ballad of David Crockett, yeah. which was as a movie, something that was really big for me as, as a little boy watching yeah. and then has this really interesting re- interaction with his wife who's hiding something from him. And he's, it, you really get a sense of his character right away where he he's kind of a steamroller. He's kind of an egoist. But he is aware of other people. He's just not, doesn't super care. Cause he's like, well, we could take the scenic route or we could take the short way. She's like, well, I don't know. The short way seems, you know, safer. He's like, yeah, but the scenic route is so much more scenic. <laughs> and they take the scenic route anyway. And it's faster
2: anyway. Exactly. It's faster <laughs> anyway.
1: But then as soon as it kicks into heroes and villains, and we have this lateral tracking shot of the two of them sneaking around the farm. And it's so visually That's active. So awesome and and almost like overwhelming given what you just saw the very simple setup with the with the symmetrical camera and finally culminating one of my favorite jokes is when they look up at this at the trap they get the birds right they look up at the chain and he's like oh it's a spring-loaded trap so when you pull it it goes down goes down over there all right and he gives it a yank (laughs) goes straight down on him and he goes nope just uh Straight down,
2: just like that. <laughs> not spring loaded.
1: Yeah, not spring loaded. And then, and then she has, you know, the reveal: I'm pregnant. And then his his huge, like cuss eating grin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's like you're glowing. I think you're glowing, right? <laughs> she she turns into like a little little glow up thing. Yeah, you know, like like yeah. a like a jack o' lantern. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's beautiful though, and that that all of that it just works for me every time. I, I love it so much.
2: Yeah, I love that scene.
1: Yeah, so good. But I think that gets us into the next thing that is really fascinating for a movie that ostensibly is for children. Even though, as Mike, you were pointing out that it's kind of an adult movie that kids can also watch. But that scene shows him as wild and reckless, young, in love. He's with his wife. And now it, it, it used to just be so carefree. And now there's this addition of a little one. And in a lot of ways, that little one kind of brings down Foxy's idea of himself. And then it cuts to them. He's in a hole in the ground, getting ready for work. He, he talks about how his job is he's writing for a rag sheet. He's like, any of your friends mentioned my columns? They're like, oh, yeah, they mentioned that they saw it. <laughs> he's like, none of them read it, do they? And you see, he's just very down on life. He's got now his son is grown and weird. Very strange kid. Why, why the cape and the pants tucked into the socks? He
0: spits a lot. <laughs> It's all, all the time, over the
1: place. Right? It's really gross. <laughs> uh, and he, he's, he sets it up, though, very clearly and succinctly, what's going to happen in this movie. He wants to get back to where he was. In fact, he just doesn't want to live in a hole in the ground. Yeah. Makes him depressed.
2: Yeah. I but feel poor. I feel poor. It makes me feel poor.
1: Yeah. What, is, what does he say? I'm 38 fox years. My father died when he was 41. I don't want to live in a hole in the ground.
2: Said, I'm seven fox years old. That's My right. father died when he was seven and a half. That's right. I don't want to live in a hole. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that theme though of that uh, that middle
1: midlife crisis is is something that's that's been terrifying for me. And so instead of going through a midlife crisis, I just decided to go through an ongoing life crisis <laughs> to sort of sidestep <laughs> that frail insecurity of a middle aged man. I would just keep it with me forever. Yeah,
0: smart. it's been working out really well so far.
1: Yeah. Okay. Right? Wait. Hold Could on. You guys agree? On. Oh,
0: absolutely. <laughs> Sidebar. So cool. yes. when you guys go through your midlife crisis, what is your master plan? Like what is going to be your goal as in grand master plan goal?
2: Um. Well, for me, I'm taking the show on the road. I'm going to become a uh, traveling musician. That's what I'm going to do. Wow. That's my, that's my midlife crisis. Wow. Yeah. I, I, Dude. I'm slightly, I'm slightly stricken by panic at just, <laughs>
1: just like what a terrible idea that is.
2: Are you kidding me? That's the best midlife crisis that you could ever have. Oh, uh, oh, the consequences <laughs> are so <laughs> far-reaching. They're so far-reaching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna get in a van and bring <laughs> my guitar and just go. Oh, just it's... go. I'm gonna go and try and and play the shows that that. Are you, Are you trying
1: to turn your children into creatives? Because that's
2: how you turn your kids into creatives, okay? <laughs> Cuss the kids.
1: Just go, Mike. <laughs> Just gotta do it. Just gotta do it, man. <laughs> oh. I love it. Oh, that's deeply, this is deeply upsetting to me.
2: Uh, <laughs> that's awesome.
1: Okay, Jesse, Jesse, you gotta you gotta help me. Find something that's that's so, less panicking.
0: <laughs> um, assuming that this podcast is still going, or if it's dead. I just go to people at at gunpoint because like, I've got nothing to lose. And I just say, either start this podcast with me, again, Vito and Mike, or I just go up to everybody and just start making them listen and download every single episode, and then we eventually get paid, and that'll be my job. I'm the podcast <laughs> hitman.
1: <laughs> I like that so much more. I'm sorry. That that makes me feel
2: comfortable. <laughs> Yours like made my hands sweat. Uh, <laughs> That's, <amazing>. That's awesome. <laughs> It's uh, been so long since I've made your hand sweat.
1: <laughs> yeah. Let's not talk about the last time. It's cussing weird. Cussing uh, weird. <laughs> 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 Jesse liked that one. Uh, right. I think. I think for my midlife crisis, it would be. I think. I don't know. You you sprung this on me as a sidebar. Uh, boy, what's something that I would just like just just go nuts over? And do oh, I I know I know I would. I would pull a Kevin Smith and I would max out my credit cards and I would borrow money from my parents and then I'd go make a weird black and white movie that no one liked. Because unlike <laughs> Kevin Smith, if I, wa- if I made exactly what I wanted to watch, is no
0: one in that club. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I have an idea. I'm making Mank 2. <laughs> <laughs>
1: alternate titles? Mank 2, The Mankening. Uh, Mank 2... Mank 2, uh, Mank Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Mank 2, Lost in Mank York. Uh, oh, I'll just skip 2 and go to 3. Mank 3, The Last of the Mank- That That's that's the final one. The Last of the Mankekins. Yep. Oh, that Mank world
0: really uh, Oh, and then there. a
1: prequel, Baby Mank.
0: Baby Mank. <laughs> Baby Mank. Baby Mank. <laughs> All right, I'm calling an end to you the sidebar. Mank is take bar. Manhattan. <laughs> right, i'm calling it i'm calling it sidebar over <laughs> this is a good one that was a good sidebar it's
2: nice. a good sidebar
0: yeah yeah so- <laughs> i gotta
1: i gotta get started on that because like if jack fincher spent like 15 years of his life writing Mank, i gotta spend at least that long writing a, a decent sequel uh Three times that out long, okay. even.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, so Vito's gone now.
3: <laughs> that was weird.
2: Uh, I hear a bunch of typing. Okay.
1: Ding. Why do I have a typewriter? <laughs> anyway, I have nowhere else to go from that. I used up all my creative energy on the titles. <laughs> they were good oh, titles, man. They were, okay, they were they great. so going back over, going back to the theme, going back to the theme, rewinding the theme. Um, so what Mike was talking about, So he's set up, he was a wild young thing. Now he's a domesticated older thing that is bucking at the system. He hates the system. He kind of hates his life. He kind of resents his family for making him do this. And he kind of resents himself for going along with it. He really wants there to be a change. And of course, the only change he can see is, as Jesse alluded to, a master plan. He is going to heist everyone to get back that sense of youth and virility
2: that he has lost. Because he's trying to become a wild animal, right? Yeah, that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Or he he is the wild animal. He's trying to be the person that he is. Or, or has he, he never like been he a is. wild animal? Oh, maybe. Because that, that that's
1: seeming to be what the end of the movie is trying to talk about, right? When he gives the final soapbox speech, where he he says, you know, this apple has been like genetically modified, but hey, at least at least it's got sparkles. Yeah, and. Yeah. It, I wonder if the final message, quote unquote, of the movie, it's not a message movie. I don't know if Wes Anderson really cares about that. But what it seems where his characters have ended on their arc is acceptance of their current circumstances. And those circumstances being that they are not the young wild things that they were. And they are new things, new wild things, but ones that are kind of within the confines of of the world. Yeah, because they zoom out. And where are they? They're in a supermarket. Yeah. You know? And that's where they live now. They live in the sewers underneath the supermarket.
2: Yeah. It's not the natural world anymore.
0: Yeah. They're and, so far removed from where they came from. Sorry. And he's also still living in a hole in the ground. Yep. hmm Yep. Yeah. He's still he's, an animal fending for himself in a small hole, not in nice, luscious tree. Which is kind of depressing. Sort of. Except they're all happy. So does it really matter? It's it's cause... the classic Inception question.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> ah, yes, the classic Inception cl- question. But
1: if if the circumstances of your life are not free, quote unquote, but you're happy in them,
2: does it matter that you're not necessarily free? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, dude, that's a, that's the question. I feel like that's a big question. I'm asking. Um, I... Wes Anderson's asking. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, dude. I don't know. Like, like West Anderson's asking it, but I don't know if there is really an answer to it. Well, like does freedom matter if you're happy? Does happiness matter if
0: you're free? Well, in some ways, in some ways, Fox is more happy at the end of the movie uh, because he's more free, more free to be his domestic self and his wild self at the same time. Right. He gets to go out and explore and steal, like his wild self wants to do. That's like the ending of the movie with them in the supermarket, taking all the stuff. But now he's a better father and a better husband than ever because he's stealing for their survival, not because of some stupid master plan. So at the end of the day, like he's more free and more of himself. So even the, yeah. I think the freedom he was searching for at the beginning, wasn't the freedom that he actually needed. He just needed to to find himself and find a balance of the lives that he of the life that he had and the life that he wanted but that you're using
1: freedom in an interesting way there because he he can't leave the sewer except to go to the supermarket right because the farmers are waiting they literally won't let him go they're obsessed so i definitely <laughs> i see what you're saying there but i'm i'm wondering if if we're speaking on on parallel tracks and maybe using different definitions of freedom
0: there i think we are i think you're using freedom in like the the prison sense being confined And I think that's what he talks about at the beginning. But I think the real freedom that he's craving is like an individualistic one, like wanting to be who he actually is.
2: Yeah, I think I think that I think I agree with you, Jesse. Yeah, because that's it. Like he like he makes that argument to his wife kind of in the middle of the movie, like after all, I'm basically like, "I'm, I'm a wild animal. This is what I do. And uh, she's like, yeah, sure, but you're also a dad and a husband. Like, you have responsibilities, and so he's he's figured out a way to to channel that to make the compromise or something. To to f- he he's found the role within the society where he's able to positively put to work his incredible talent at robbing from the rich. Mm-hmm. You know their their food, and that's that's freedom, right? Like that, the ability to to be who you are. Mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's a
1: freedom in some way yeah i mean i it's it's a freedom to as as you guys are both saying it's a fr- and I'm not even disagreeing but it's a freedom to to live an actualized version of yourself, um, but it's not a freedom without compromise, and it's not the same freedom that he was talking about. It might be more of who he's supposed to be, but it's not what he wanted in the beginning. He's had to pivot and adapt uh just yeah. like a wild animal would have to adapt uh if you were domesticated.
2: That's true. But I mean, I wonder if, I think what Jesse was saying was like, maybe it wasn't actually what he wanted. He thought that what he wanted was to do this massive thing to have the big house and all of that stuff. But in fact, that didn't make him happy by doing those things. He was like sneaking under his wife, behind his wife's back and like everyone was upset. I think, I think that made him happy too, though. (laughs) Like kind of, kind of it did, but he also does like want her to be happy.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I think there, I think these two things can exist. And I think that is the, at least for me, what is so fundamentally fun about returning to this movie is that I, I don't think, and we're not even on opposing viewpoints. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just a, it's just a shade of one or a shade of the other. I think that's what keeps me coming back to this is sometimes that final image of them dancing in the supermarket and the song is letter dance, which is like a fun song, but it's kind of about, you know, Oh, let, let them have their fun. Let them do that. And then sometimes when it does that slow sh- come out coming out of the supermarket and you see it's black and it's a box and the 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 whole parking lot's empty.
2: Sometimes that reads a little sadder than others. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I I, I think strip malls are kind of inherently sad. It's not. It's a grocery store. Well, but it's a grocery store in like a strip mall. Oh, I thought it was
1: just an empty parking lot. Well, either way. Either way, grocery stores at
2: night are sad. It's vibing with the strip mall sad. Don't talk, don't cuss and talk to me about vibes. I'll cuss and talk about vibes if I want to. You cuss? You, you're gonna vibe and cuss with me. Just have to feel the vibe sometimes. Oh, cuss off.
1: Okay. Well, I, I think, yeah, we I think we're all seeing the same things here. I think that maybe just it feels a little different sometimes. It's like that yeah, question. Let me let me call a quick sidebar here. Sidebar. Okay. I would often ask this this question, Jesse. I think I might have asked this of you back in college. Would you rather live in a dystopian society ruled by an authoritarian leader where everything was provided for you and you got to be home with your family but had no individual freedom, or would you like to live in a outlaw post apocalyptic wasteland where you have all the freedom and none of the security?
2: Yeah, it's a hard question. Um, I think that's uh, that's kind of like what's happening here. Yeah, that's yeah, why I wanted to ask bit, it a little bit. Uh. Jesse, he asked me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I want to see if maybe if you remember this and if maybe your answer has changed.
0: Oh, I man, I don't remember this at all. Um okay, dystopian future, everything's provided for, but there's absolutely no freedom whatsoever, no freedom of choice. Like, like the way
1: I envisioned this and the way I asked it is, you know, all you all you can do is go to work. And then you come home and you have a family in both scenarios, by the way, you have a family. It's not just you.
0: Yeah. Well, that's hard. That's really tough. Because at this point, like today, I just spent all day with my son. And like, we just like, we just went and fed the ducks and he loved that so much. And then he loved going down the slide and getting to experience all this. And it was like, I got to experience him becoming an individual because of the freedom that we had to go do that. And, like, that joy of fatherhood would simply be gone. <laughs> I guess in either scenario, that, that joy of fatherhood is gone. Because in either way, you're not really free. In one way, you're you're a slave to, to the necessities of life, and you don't get that freedom to, like, go feed ducks with your son. And the other, you're just not allowed to. So given the fact that either way, I don't have freedom, but in one way, my family gets to be fed, I'll go with that option. I mean, I feel
2: like Jesse just blew up your question. It's not, it's a false dichotomy. <laughs> no, it's,
3: no it's, he, he eventually got it.
2: it
0: a little too hard. <laughs> no, 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 because it's actually, actually, actually not answer. even far enough
1: though, because there is the potential for those moments of peace and serenity in a lawless post-apocalyptic wasteland. Have you not seen a post-apocalyptic wasteland before guys? Yeah, I, I
2: mean, like there's honestly, the potential there, but there's also the, the same potential
1: yeah. in a dystopian universe. There's the same potential for that home life.
2: I feel like drawn both ways, but mostly because of the awesome movies that I've seen about post-apocalyptic wastelands, where it's like, yeah, man, I want to, I want to, you know, go out and fight, and like, I definitely be the one who wins, and my
0: family survives. Honestly, poke my my, my view of that right now <laughs> is definitely the road. Whenever I imagine a post-apocalyptic <laughs> scenario, I imagine like, all right, it's me and my son, and I'm starving, and I'm just trying to make it for my son. We're talking about death all the time. And it's just like the most uncomfortable existence and like half the family's dead. Uh, yeah.
1: I would like I would like listener, the listener and previous guest Letney to write in because I remember having like a two hour fight
3: with Letney <laughs>
1: where Letney was hardcore for the post apocalyptic wasteland, pro freedom, all that stuff. And I was hardcore the other way, being like, No, man, like dystopian authoritarian government, like all the way, dude. I would I would not choose anarchy over comfort. Uh, mostly for that question of the family like do yeah. you trust yourself to be able to have this and that's sometimes that question gets wrapped up with the ending of this movie and gets wrapped up with some of my own insecurities at seeing so much of myself in Mr Fox in all the worst ways and wondering like is this an eventuality that cannot be escaped is this a bad thing is this a good thing does it only matter if it's bad or good depending on how I think about it and that's kind of what we're what we're running up against here with you guys skewing more towards the hopeful he's happy because it's his identity.
2: And then me skewing more the other way being like, is that good that that's his identity? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you have to say it's either good or bad. It just kind of is right. Like he's learned to live with it. I mean, yeah, like the but learning that's... to live with it. I think it is good, right? Like it, it's good to learn to live with, with the world that you have and to be happy within it. Yeah. I, I'm going to say like, like unqualified man, it's, it's good. Although, but I, but I definitely do see that like it, it's a compromise. There's things that he's not able to do and he's not maybe fully being true to himself, but at the same time, like being true to himself is, is like, you know, running
0: and chasing chickens
2: down and stuff.
0: Yeah. He just looks happy at the end of it. Right. He looks like he's having a good time. He is chasing the chickens down in a manner of speaking and he is the best the best version of, of a husband and father that he's been in the entire movie. Um, like, he just... Something about the, his character at the end just speaks to it being a happy ending, I think. And then there's also this weird thing that's been, like, striking me today, thinking about the movie, and that is the fact that um, Christopherson's dad is trying to move down to the sewers. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. for whatever... <laughs> that prison of a place has now become a a place where people want to gather. They literally all want to come there. So like it's a prison in terms of, in terms of space, but it's not a prison because everybody who's there likes being there and is having a, has found their niche in life and is happy. It's funny is that they,
1: they announced that before Foxy announces he's found the grocery store Yeah, where they're literally like, there's one kid who's like, I'm hungry. And they're like, well here, have some, water <laughs> and so honestly it kind of seems like christopherson's dad first of all should not be moving down there because he's had a brush with double pneumonia yeah. and a damp environment is not good for that no.
2: number one uh but number two like, like maybe his dad isn't the wisest person <laughs> You're gonna move to the sewers where
1: everyone's starving
2: <laughs> oh now's the time to get it now yeah it's at, it's at the very
1: bottom yeah because uh because of where it is subterranean uh okay well i think i think that moving on which I think we're going to have to, because I think at this point, it really is down to uh, a question of the deep existential dread that I feel every day that passes versus what the movie is actually saying versus what I'm taking out of it. So we're going to have to move beyond that. (laughs) Can I ask you guys are free leaving it
0: there? Yeah, Jesse, because having watched it last night, uh, Mike, you brought up your favorite scene was the wolf scene. And that was very weird. That's a super strange scene. Like, you know, I was expecting a wolf the entire time because there's the constant crying of wolf throughout the movie so you know it's going to show up at some point and then suddenly it does and and it's tearful but it was kind of strange i wasn't i didn't know what to think about that like just coming across that in the wild so to speak um so yeah. like what did you take away from that so I, I just I love the way that, that that
2: that scene is like shot because the whole the whole time that we're there, we're in a pretty like suburban environment. Right. Um, or like a rural environment. Um, rural. It's very, very rural. Like these are farms like and all that. So it's not civilized, but it's not um, it's not, you know, uh, the wild that they're living in. But then when the wolf comes, uh, it's like the the mountains have moved into your line of sight like he's standing on the frozen um, like this rock this outcropping that's frozen kind of halfway down and then it's back to so it's like all white colors behind him he's black and then it's it's all like the browns and and reds and and oranges of fall which I thought was really cool it was definitely like kind of some visual some visual language there but I, I think like when someone says they have a phobia of something you don't really think that they're gonna be excited to see it and he's, like, Fantastic Mr. Fox is excited to see the wolf. Like, he's he's nervous. He's nervous about meeting a wolf. I think, like, I, I don't know. Like, a wolf, to me, is the most wild creature that you can think of. The most powerful wild creature out there. At least, I don't know. I mean, you could throw lions in there. And no, I would things, agree. But, I would agree. Yeah. But well, yeah. yeah. And, and they're, they're a symbol of that, I think, in as a literary
0: device. Uh, lone, wolf.
3: <clears throat> <Yeah. laughs> lone wolf. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like... Um, It's like contrasting like the most domesticated animal, which is a dog versus the wolf, which is so terrifying because they're so familiar and they should be domesticated, but they're not. They're wild.
2: Yeah. And, and he's kind of standing in between the dogs that are totally domesticated that he's like totally manipulating and, and he knows how to, how to work with and the wolf. That is just something he, he fully recognizes Everything else in in the, in the his world, he's like, I can manipulate it to be what I want it to be. But the wolf is something outside of my circle of influence. I think it's also like it sort of symbolizes what he wants to be in a way or something about himself, like the wildness within himself that he both is drawn to and afraid of.
0: Um, oh, it's like it's like he tries so hard to be that thing that he's scared that he can't become it, which might be why it's a phobia. In
2: a way. Yeah. Like, but also like he, he both does and doesn't want to be it. He he's the guy who dresses in the clothes that he does. He chooses those clothes and he chooses when he has to have a normal career. He chooses to be, to write as the man about town, like this, this high sort of this highfalutin cultured, cultured article. So he wants to be that guy, the person who's in town, you know? but he also wants to be the guy who steals chickens and like runs around and, and all this stuff. Yeah. So it, I don't know. I, I think that it's the, the purest example of, of that, that desire. Maybe I, I don't know. I, cause
1: I think the other direction that he's, cause he's pulled between you're talking about these extremes, right? And that's what we would call that domesticity that he's, that he's fighting against and sometimes accepts like he accepts it as matter of dress, but not in the way he acts. Yeah. Uh, like the scene in when he's giving when batter starts to give the toast and then Foxy co-ops the toast, <laughs> that is like the most man about town, cultured asshole cusshole yeah. thing to do. Cusshole thing to do. Yeah. No, cussle sounds way worse. You got to say asshole. Uh, uh, no, but like that's that's the worst version of himself in that way. But that's what he could become. Yeah, that's who he could be. And then when he sees the wolf, he's almost moved to tears because of how, at least in, in some way, because of how far away that is from who he is. And maybe that's who he wants to be. Maybe it's who he's scared of being. Maybe it's who he deeply desires. And I think the phobia thing is more, but what I think anyway, and I, I think it's open to a couple of different interpretations. But I think it's it's he's afraid of that which is outside of himself that he might be and might not be. It's like either his greatest dream or his deepest fear. And, that's and it's the terrifying. one thing he
2: doesn't have mm. control over. He tries
1: mm. to right. He he tries yeah. to name it. He does name it. Yeah. And then he tries to introduce himself, and the wolf is uninterested in that at all. Just has nothing to do with that. He's like, I. Uh, what do you, What do you want? The I only thing you can do lines. is the solidarity of yeah. two creatures. That's
2: it. Yes. Do you think winner going to be tough? Yeah. That, that's what. And he, uh, uh, he says that in uh, in French. In French. Yeah. Which is really weird. Well, he's he's trying. He's trying all of his tactics.
1: Yeah. Right. He's like, I, can I be charming? Can I be controlling? Can I be assertive? Can I be this? Can I be this? And then none of it works, except for a simple sign of I see you and you
0: exist. Yeah which the wolf is the only thing the wolf will reciprocate. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I almost want to see the movie a few more times, like right now, instantaneously having, having heard all of what you guys just said. But yeah, I like the idea of the, of the wolf being the jet, yeah, just a thing that he has no control over and both wants and fears. And I think the fist is almost like an acceptance too. It's like a, like I know who you are and I acknowledge you. And I am kind of one with you. That's that's what I get from that, that fist in the air action. And it's like finally he has acceptance of who he is too. He's both a wild animal and it's like he's become more wild at the end, I guess, like you were saying, Vita, like just adapting to the to the situations that he's in and surviving. And he's thrilled with that and is happy about it. Finally there's that acceptance. The same acceptance he gave the wolf with that fist is the same acceptance he's giving himself, which is I acknowledge you exist and I'm going to give myself what I need to be free. Great. Yeah. Um, okay. This is getting really heavy for a claymation movie.
1: Yeah. No. 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 But that's that's, the, that's why I've seen <laughs> yeah, it so man. many times. That's why I, that's why I'm like manically shouting about it is because this is the stuff that like I've spent so long watching this movie and going over what the wolf means and going over what it all means. Not because like I want to understand what Wes Anderson is saying, but I've just been trying to figure out what it's saying about me. Like, what? How do I square this with my life? And that's, that's why I spent so long and thinking about it and, and just in, like going over to my head and talking to people. And everyone's was like, oh yeah, that's a fun movie.
2: I'm like, hold your cussing horses. all right <laughs> There's something going on in that movie. <laughs> well, I think it's, I, I mean, I think that is like why it's such a personal movie is because it is about the nature of, I don't know, the nature of humanity. I maybe, maybe being a man, maybe being a human. I, I'm not sure. I'm a not sure how I
1: Uh, uh, a father, a husband, and we, we give up things when we get married and have kids, we give up dreams that might not be possible anymore.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think, but I think it starts on that, that first level of being simply being human. We have this innate drive to kind of be a wild animal, like, but also, you know, even before we're, we're married or anything, like before we have kids, like we still are making these compromises day to day between the wild freedom of the wolf and the domesticity of, I guess the The supermarket of the supermarket. Yeah. And like, we really love the supermarket. That's a really awesome place. I love going to the store. It's fun. Cause all of the food is there. It's great. Yeah. I just want to be where the food's at. Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, we're like, yeah. And, And I mean like there's obviously a lot of different ways that's the case, but I think that's what makes it so good is because it's about the, the the basic human condition, right? It's it's like what does it mean to be a person? Um, yeah. Then you layer on like the further layers of who Mr. Fox is. Like he's you know like the this gadfly sort of personality, and he's married, and and he's an he's an egotist who got married, and he has to figure out a way to to smooth down his ego and kind of be like, okay, this not it's not all about me. And that's something that I think we all have experienced within our, our marriage is probably more than anything else in our lives. But looking at the rest of our lives, it's something that I think we experience day to day with other people and everything. So that's why it's so this, this claymation kids movie or or stop motion kids movie is so incredible is because it's, it's about, it's about that.
0: Yeah, it is about that human condition. It's about that, that idea. And it's, More, I think the thing that draws me to it most now that I think about it is that he seems to have some sort of answer for himself. And I I almost look at that at the end and I, I want that. And that's what I'm constantly striving for day after day is to get to this place where you're at. And it's cool that there is this character that has gone through that struggle and come out the other side where he just seems happy. And I want that. And I'm trying to figure out how to do it for myself. And that is beautiful. I love the fact that I can finally point to a movie that does that and does that well. Yeah, that's cool. So moving over to
1: kind of Wes Anderson's other movies, because we have to talk about him as a person. And actually, I think it's directly related to this, because this isn't the first time I would say he has an ending like this. Um, I would probably compare the ending of this to uh, maybe most closely. um, uh, What's it called? Life, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, I think, is as an almost almost the same ending, where he picks up the little boy and walks out of the premiere,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, it starts playing Queen Bitch by Bowie. Yeah. It's such an awesome scene. Yeah. yeah. But that, that has a, a very similar emotional arc for, again, mm. an egoist who, uh, in fact, admits it in the movie in a yeah. heartfelt confrontation with someone that he's related to <laughs> <laughs> and apologizes for it and tries to be better. I mean, this also happens in the Royal Tenenbaums, where Royal Tenenbaum admits that he's an egoist to
2: people that he's close to and tries to become better. I I feel like this is just kind of a a theme that Wes Anderson likes to to play with in general. Do you you remember
1: that scene in Rushmore
2: where the main character admitted that he was an egoist to someone close to him? And then...
1: Tried to become better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do. I do. I just don't know if you
0: imagine, imagine a director and writer who's made these stories with these particular meticulously filmed scenes saying that over and over again. Huh. Makes me think that maybe he's writing himself a little bit into these movies.
1: <laughs> but what about that scene in, in the Darjeeling Limited where
2: three characters who are all related <laughs> talk to each other about how
0: they're all egoists?
2: <laughs> are all three of them in this movie? Yes, they're all three. Yes, they are. Movie. Are they all three in all of his movies? No. Almost all of them. They 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 come and go. Is Bottle Rocket about an ego t-
1: egoist saying that they're one of them is kind of an egoist, but it's not. It's not as on the nose. Yeah. And then Grand Budapest Hotel. I mean, I mean, M M Gustav is a, he's an egoist who transmits the zero that he's trying to do. I'm sorry, I gotta stop. But that, <laughs> so Wes Anderson style. I think here, I think this is the one that it works the best at. Like this is this movie is the one with the most heart. Like I think this is the one where all these themes that he's really concerned with and obsessed with really comes together, and it, huh. it it's something really. Do you think warm. it's his
2: best? Like, like in your opinion, is is this his best? Like, if you said, like, that's kind of what you just said. I think perfect marriage between
1: style and theme and collaborators. Yeah, I think I think it's here. Interesting. Yeah, I think maybe like his best stylistic movie might be Grand Budapest, but I I I feel a little far away from that movie's heart a little yeah. bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even you know that's even kind of like stylistically, like there's something about Wes Anderson and like claymation that just fits so well. Like some of his other movies, they seem like miniatures or literally are, and they look or feel like dollhouses. And finally, you have a movie that is just that, so it just works better on like a on like a movie level. So like I'm not, I find myself less torn out of the movie, being like, is that a miniature? Oh wait, that's not. That's just weird. Way he did that. All right. And then I continue watching the movie. Um, I don't do that here because I just expect it, because it's already claymation. So this style with him just makes so much sense. Yeah, it's for someone who loves working with so many layers of artifice, it would
1: make sense that the most artificial thing would look the best, right? Like because yeah. he, he has to make the He's whole got world absolute the control. Yeah. I think the only other time this this I have I have a huge love for life aquatic. And there is some of that. Where remember the when it shows you the inside of the submarine, and it mm-hmm. is literally a dollhouse with like many different layers, yeah. and you have the characters like moving and going down ladders and stuff. Yeah. That was that's really, really beautiful. Cool. But yeah, I think this is this is the best one. And I, I would like to push back to people who say that that there's not a lot of emotion in West Anderson movies. Like, they're incredibly emotional. These are deeply emotional movies. It's yeah. just
2: sometimes it, it can be a little hard to access that through his dollhouse sensibility. I think it's interesting. I, I'm I'm thinking, looking at the list here of his movies, and it does feel to me. I, I haven't seen Isle of Dogs, but otherwise, I've seen all of his all of his feature films. I can't wait for the French to, Dispatch to come out. Yeah, uh, when it whenever it actually finally does. But like looking at the list, it does seem like I know a lot of people have a lot of love for Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest Hotel, but both of them felt a little less. Uh, sincere and they felt a little more heartless than everything leading up to and including fantastic. Mr. Fox. Like he almost sort of started making Wes Anderson movies rather than making movies by Wes Anderson after that. I don't know. I don't, that's know. Fair. I I don't know. That's, that's, that's like a criticism of one of the greatest directors out there. So, but it's just, you know. it's so telling that it's those two in a row and then yeah. there's
1: Isle of Dogs, which is his chilliest movie and also his saddest movie it's about dogs and dying yeah like, that whole movie is about dead dogs yeah and that that's really hard to it's watch really as someone who's movie. had a lot of dead dogs in his life yeah but it's funny having you have the sweet childhood innocence of moonrise kingdom but then it's back laid against all this cheating that's happening with the adults um and this idea yeah. that maybe like yeah. love isn't real but yeah the kids are proving love is real but then how sincere is that and yeah. then grand Budapest, which is about a lot of things.
2: A lot, a lot of things. In a certain way, it's like the cleanest looking, Yes, I think, and it's also yes. kind of the messiest. Very much. There's so many characters.
0: Yeah. It's the grandest.
1: It is the grandest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the Budapestist, yeah. The Budapestist? <sighs> yeah. I can't say it. <laughs> the
0: Budapest, the
1: Budapestist. I'm just wondering now with The French Dispatch, now that he's done these three very extreme kinds of movies, if we're going to get back to a little bit more of that, that heart that was in this one or that's in... Uh,
2: actually any of his, any of his other work. Yeah. Bob's man. I think that's my favorite. It's mm-hmm. always going to be my favorite. But... I just watched that with, with my wife uh,
1: oh, yeah. a couple weeks ago. It's the only thing the second time I revisited it, maybe the third. Oh really? I liked it a lot more. Yeah. The first time, the first time it's really jarring. It is. It is
2: very jarring. That's for sure. And I
1: don't think he's got the tone down very well. Cause he's got that one section with Luke Wilson.
2: Yeah. That I don't mm-hmm. want to
1: spoil. Cause we don't want to spoil that movie, but that one like three minute scene and then the next scene they're joking about it.
2: Yeah. And you're like, what are you doing? (laughs) That's the most like beautiful thing you've ever made. Just let it sit for a minute. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah. But that's another movie that we will talk about eventually on not your father's movies. That's right.
1: Yeah. That (laughs) would be
2: an interesting
1: dad movie. I mean, I'll be crying for most of it. So (laughs) be
2: fine. Needle in the hay. <laughs> no, don't sing Needle in the hay. <laughs> uh,
1: Jesse, do you got any closing thoughts?
0: I guess I'll just close with that I do think this is Anderson's best. And this is what I will show people um, because it's his most accessible. It, it's his most universal. And I think it speaks to a lot of people on a lot of levels. And I am so happy I just saw this movie. It's amazing. And it's so, it's so cussing funny. I
2: just, uh. yeah, it is so funny. <laughs> we just talked for like an hour about this in such a serious way. I feel almost bad because it is so funny. Like, yeah, it's just so full of humor. There wasn't and, and love yeah. and like zest for life. Like even the way, the way that like George Clooney delivers his lines, is like when he talks to people, they're just kind of occurring within sort of this undercurrent of him talking to himself, the most interesting man in the room. Mm-hmm. It's so well done. Like, it's so, ah, it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: I, I agree. And there's so many of the lines that are great jokes. Sorry, Jesse.
0: And I love the ongoing, like, dead eye joke of Kylie, like, constantly, (laughs) constantly, like, losing focus (laughs) and not seeming to, like, have anything register with him. And he's just sitting there with with these dead eyes. And he's like, all right, can can you understand anything that I'm saying? Am I getting through to you? Give me some sort of signal. Like, raise your arm. And just, like, raises his arm. (laughs) it's so funny
1: uh, my wife and I use that all the time when we're really tired <laughs> and don't really want to talk or like, do you want to go to bed? And all we do is just to raise the arm. Uh,
0: <laughs> Man, I get that. I've been there so many times. I get Kylie.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Wait. Okay. Question. Do you guys know, do beagles like
2: blueberries? Is that a, is that a thing? I, I've never heard of it before this movie and I'm just kind of taking
1: it as fact now. Yeah, I I, Eagles like I, have, not, I have not fact checked
2: this <laughs> and I don't really want to. No, just
1: let it live. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, he's right. Let's just say uh, he's it's, right. Yeah, he's yeah. right. I, I'll trust him on most things. Like yeah. l- l- let it go. Uh let's see. What some other some other lines that would, that I use around the house all the time that are from this movie. If anything is happening here is happening here, it better not be. Use that all the time. Uh if someone comes in the room wearing something unexpected, I I will often say, Where'd you get that bandit hat? <laughs> Yeah, titanium card. How do you get such good credit? A lot. Uh, let's see what else. No, there's so many lines from this movie that just just like seeped into everyday conversation. This is definitely one of the most quoted movies of my life, and it's so funny. That's amazing. Uh, oh. Yeah, that that's like another half an hour of just yeah. like, all right, top ten lines from this movie. Here we go. Let let Vito go for for half an hour, and he just be just, able turn, to just, just turn just turn the mic off the movie. You just turn the like off, the <laughs> mic off, and you guys can leave, and I'll just do it. There we go.
2: <laughs> Okay, how about you, Mike? Last thoughts? Um, dude, I just love this movie. It's, it's really good. I don't know if I'd say it's my it's the best Wes Anderson, I think. But I, in a way, it is, man. It definitely, like, there's nothing that's wrong with this movie. Everything is perfect. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see it again. I'm excited to see it as I grow older and sort of develop into my own life and develop, you know, like, things change with me and, and have that developing relationship with this work of art. And uh, it's always just a blast and really fun to watch. What about you, man? No, I, I second. I second both of what you guys have said, and I think I've said everything I want to say
1: at this juncture about Fantastic Mr. Fox. Let's wait for the re-fox. It'll happen. <laughs> is that, is that going to be a series
0: of episodes? Are we going to re-things?
1: I think we're definitely going to be re-reading some things. Because then, because wouldn't it be fun to have a conversation about this now that we've done all the heavy conversation about this? Yeah having fun with it. This I one, did, it was just like yeah. so heavy on my heart. It yeah. Like, like no yeah. enthusiasm for me. Guys. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at I... a blank wall.
0: <laughs> We're going to have to redo that conversation at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Fine. Uh Okay. Jesse, is this a dad movie? Yes. Yes. Because one, I want to watch it because I want to understand midlife crises more. And two, I want my kids to watch it because it's funny and I can connect with them. And finally, we can both enjoy a movie where we're both intellectually stimulated at our own appropriate level. And somehow this movie accomplishes that beautifully, better than any other animated movie I've ever seen. So absolutely. This is a stellar dad family movie and just a flat out dad movie for you to watch by yourself. Like I did last night and loved it so much. Yes.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely a dad movie. Um it's about a dad. It's gotta be a dad movie. I mean <laughs> almost. Uh it's great. Yeah, I, I I love it. Um I love I love everything that you said about it, Jesse. One thing that we didn't say about it though is that it's adapted out of this Roald Doll book, who um Doll book. It's it's his first name is so so cussing difficult to say. Uh, yeah.
1: Um, like, I'm never happy with it. So yeah, as said I know. <laughs> I know.
2: But I mean, like, talk about just a, a dad writer who's written dad movies or like been adapted in, in, into dad movies in general, I think. Like, yeah. That's it's fantastic. Um, He's the BFG. He, he, yeah. I mean, like he, he has just this way of making these fantasy worlds that are really, really real. He was a weird effing dude. Yes. Yeah. He, it, like really weird. Wasn't he also like. Like a raging anti-Semite. <laughs> yes that's right that's right he was so many he was so many things yes yeah um so I, i'm not gonna Yeah, you know, we don't need to talk I, about him I,
1: I got a book <laughs> from the library it was Roll doll and i had read i think i'd read fantastic mr fox and i think i read uh that one what was it danny the king of the world or something yeah yeah i think there's another book that involves beagles and blueberries too okay. but i i got this book and it was just a, a short collection of some of his poetry um. Yes, his poems are they freaking crazy It was in the kids section And I think I was 10 And there Ooh. was one poem about a sexual relationship That a teacher has with a student And he's
0: very confused as to what's happening <laughs> And I was confused <laughs> as a child As to what was happening Because he's very vague but really suggestive And I remember taking it to my mom And being like, mom, what does this mean? And she got so mad at the library She took it back and was like
1: How
2: is dare you shelve be- this like, how dare you put this in the kids' section next to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah. It's crazy because it's like, the stuff that you've heard of by Roald Dahl, like, go for that. Yes. If you haven't heard of it... Don't dig deep. Like, like don't go for that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. the stuff you've heard of by Roald Dahl are dad things. Yes. That's what I'll, I'll sort of revise. If it's a movie, probably a dad thing. Yeah. With the probable exception of The Witches. But
1: we'll get to The Witches some other time. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. What about you? Is this a
2: dad movie, Vito?
1: Very much so. This is uh this is one of the definitive dad movies that I had in mind when we started this podcast. Cool. Um, and I'm very happy to have done it in a, a very dad way, which is to uh, not have as much fun with it as just freak out over it. <laughs> I hope the listeners, you guys, enjoyed this. I don't know if this is what you wanted when you requested this movie,
2: but it's what you got. <laughs> you know, I feel like what we did was was provide what the movie was showing us a midlife crisis yeah yeah, you got to have watch it happen in real time <laughs> yeah you're welcome you're welcome <laughs> listeners but we anyway did it for this you. wraps up we did
1: yeah it yeah this wraps up our listener request month we did it guys four we episodes yeah. good day for us for having listeners and listening to them
2: thank you listeners for for requesting movies we always love it when you do and we are excited about the next time we get to do it it's really fun yeah and uh, definitely keep those suggestions going in uh, we are logging them. Yep. You can send them in
1: to notyourfathersmovies at gmail.com. You can send Tweet them us in to NYF Movies. Jesse, where can they find you on the web?
2: Wait,
0: are you talking about like
2: Facebook? Yes. Yes. Not your father's Movies at Facebook. I, all, that's.
0: Is that. Does not add. You not just, your father. You just it's search. Just, just, well, you could. <laughs> you, can, you can contact us through our Facebook group at Not Your Father's Movies page. <laughs> you just go to the search bar, and
2: could, we're all millennials. <laughs> Guys, do, do you want? Let's
1: just make this simpler. We have a link tree that we post with every episode, where you find all of our
0: socials. And if you or, go in there, just simply click the Facebook link. If you go to NYF Movies, <laughs> it has all of our podcast apps that we are associated with and all of our social links all in one nice convenient page for you. And you can also listen straight from the website. But Jesse, n- nyfmovies. and nyfmovies.com.
1: NYF movies.com? NYF movies.com. We, nyfmovies.com. URL? we do. Cool. Wow.
2: What a good URL. That's a really good URL. With a
0: ww in the front. And, and okay, but HTTPS, also the H-T-T-P-S, H-T-t-p-s <laughs> <slash>. <laughs> But yeah if You're still listening
2: Wow, why? Why? That's what I want to know <laughs> <laughs> oh, It almost makes me want to like insert three minutes of silence
1: and then at the end of that whoever reaches it will like give away like a secret prize We'll do that sometime We're not doing it this time Don't listen any longer uh, Anyway, I'm fine. Or maybe do, I don't know
0: I'm Mike I'm Jesse